I feel a lot of what uh, teachers read in uh, colleges about child development has to be rewritten now and, you know, re-looked at. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short, short name. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Vali Subaya, teacher, educationalist, and founder of KC High. And she joins us now from Chennai in India. Hi, Vali. Hello, Susan. Great to have you on the show. Now, you were brought up in a small community in Chetia. So tell us, what was it like growing up as a girl? Um, so we grew up in a joint family. It was lots and lots of learning as we enjoyed being with extended family all the time and always grew up with plenty children as well. Um, but there was always a little bit of... Um, subtle little innuendos telling us that, you know, as a girl, this is what we should do. And as a boy, this is what we should do. And there was a clear difference in some of the things. Definitely with regard to um, certain, uh, like talking shop or something like that, it was clear, especially in the uh, teen years, um, it was given to us as girls to understand that we would never you know, be able to do office jobs like our dad's word. And um, we would, they would never talk shop at home in front of the girls of the home. And so it kind of became an indirect kind of conditioning um, that we just thought that our jobs were to do other things other than being in the corporate world or things like that, which our parents were doing. And even my cousins and the boy, uh, the family were doing. Now, you, you also had arranged marriages and, and you yourself had an arranged marriage. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, it was always a given, in, especially in our uh, clan, that um, we always got married to someone who our parents chose for us. Yes, at some time, we always thought that they did have, um, you know, the best um, intentions to, like, uh, find a match, which was according to... Um, our uh, exposure, uh, our personality type. But sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. And most often uh, in the early years of arranged marriages in our families, it you would always be with a cousin, a most eligible cousin. But uh, as the family grew larger and wider, it was sometimes there were cousins available of eligibility, but sometimes there weren't. And then they would go beyond the family. And uh, generally, it was like an understanding between two families. And then the children were always 
you know, married pretty young back in those days. So um, the girl kind of moved lock, stock and barrel to her husband's home, sometimes in another city. It was a little unnerving for myself because I had never left my home other than boarding school, of course. And then to move to a city where I didn't know anybody and uh, I had to, you know, make a living and uh, know a brand new family who had not had much exposure to, who had a completely different lifestyle to mine was challenging. Yeah. How old were you, Valley, when this happened? It was uh, 17 and a half and 18 around then. <laughs> Gosh, so, so what, were your, what were your thoughts as a young girl uh, being married to someone that your parents, presumably your father had chosen for you, as opposed to marrying someone for love? So we didn't know what marrying for love was other than in books and movies and in fiction. <laughs> so it was uh, the only thing that we knew. And yes, we would probably hear of it of an odd friend here and an odd cousin there, but it was not happening in our family. So we didn't know anything better. And um, it was just a given that as a girl child, you were raised in a way that you would go and adapt and adopt into whichever family you went to. But it kind of had a very organic and natural flow to things. And it was very clear that uh, the more and more I knew uh, I had to try and fit, it was not going to happen. And I'm glad in a way, like nature had a way to kind of um, pull us apart. It was very, very organic. It was very mutual. It was very cordial because uh, both families knew that we were probably not cut out for this. And um, when both families knew, both individuals also at some level knew that. And so um, it was kind of a blessing in disguise that, you know, I chose to actually recourse my life a little after all this happened, you know. I'm, I'm very aware, I'm very conscious that I'm asking this from a very Western perspective. Am I seeing this through too much of a, a Western white woman's lens, do you think? Um, yes and no, um, Susan. I'll say the yes is because it's hugely part of tradition and the cultural innuendos of like, this is how it has always been. And it continues to be for most Indian families and larger uh, families I've seen even in Western cultures. But what I will say is the uh, fact about the no part of it is that um, there's a need now that I understand from a lot of people in cultures which didn't believe in arranged marriages that um, it's hard for them to find their partners because they don't have like a structure or a construct for it, which makes it a lot easier for, you know, parents and the child uh, or the person in particular, who's getting married to find a good partner who has the same status, the wavelengths and all of that. So I think it works both ways, but I can understand your question coming from a Western point of view, because you all have not experienced this. So how, so you just, you had this awakening, you'd always loved education, you always loved learning. How did you go from being a married woman to then going into education and not only taking education to its fullest, you then founded a school. Talk us through that. How, how did that all happen? 
So, yes, I've been very, very fortunate. A lot of it has been um, organic, as in it had a natural course, and a lot of it has also been by default. So um, I have to go back again a few years, like when I was younger and just married and all of that. And I was very keen on my own education. But then uh, later when, you know, uh, I was a little unwell, I came home, I was uh, in my mother's house, uh, recuperating from my illness. And that's when I you know, said I had to pull up my socks and get on with life. And uh, here's an opportunity. It, I've been there's been a huge setback in my personal life and my medical, physical life, or and all of that. I need to do something more in a larger way to want to do something for the world. And I think at some level, um, at that time, I had by a stroke of luck and an angel in one of my own aunts who came and said, I'd just gotten a little better and was a little stronger in health. And she said, why don't you come and volunteer with me at the school that I teach? And so that was my stepping stone into this bigger world of where I ended up today. But it was such a wonderful experience being with young children, being so stimulated by their energies that I said, I think I want to put my more energy into this. There were like some stumbling blocks some years down the line when I started studying education and then came back to India to want to set up um, an extended day program because I didn't want to get into mainstream education at that point. But uh, when I saw that what parents want and what we want for children is something and what schools are providing in India is something else totally. So at that juncture, I have to say that what was again, the turning point was a very, very dear friend of mine. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I tried to bring about a, um, an educational difference in the lives of children through making the whole curriculum designed much more for learning and joy and not just for regurgitation of memory and facts. And that was when this friend said, maybe you're trying something top down. You need to try something bottoms up because in India to make a, a change through wanting to be a social reformer of sorts is not going to bring about the change you're looking for. Your school is called Kids Central, Kids Central High. So yeah. I'm assuming from the, the, the name of the school, you put very much children at the centre of things. Yes, very much, Susan. I mean, from uh, our whole admission process to every part, not about the democratic uh, approach, but just have giving them a voice, giving them the centre stage, giving them the respect, giving them the openness to you know uh if any anything in our school there's always if in the classroom of 25 there are 25 different perspectives that are mostly taken in most of the um you know classroom decisions or uh if there is like some lateral thinking exercises all 25 come out with uniquely uh special uh, contributions which is so lovely to see 
let's start with the children, get them all on board along with their parents, which is always the challenge because children come with a lot of home culture or conditioning as well. And they're not, while there's a lot of freshness of their uh, thinking and being, there's also some kind of impacts that they've already come with. And that is always a challenge sometimes for us to work with. But what is important is that we know that the impact on children today will be much more, not just rewarding, but much more impactful for the future of any country because that's where we can start. That's where we can uh, work and see the difference happen right in front of our eyes. And that's where we live every day with hope. Do you think, Valley, children and childcare uh, traditionally and more conventionally has been associated with women and therefore in patriarchal societies it's perceived as lower value work? I would say, yes, some patriarchal societies do feel that, um, you know, just not just women, but also that children are, uh, you know, they're just supposed to grow up like weeds or like, you know, uh, given very little importance. But I think that's changed a lot, Susan. Like at least the community that we service today, the parents are very ambitious. Their parents want the best for their children. They really um, are you know, excited to give them the exposures. Firstly, all of them come. Today, most parents, I have to say that, are come with some genetic predispositions of just being smart and their children are only going to be smarter. So uh, there's no two ways about that. But it is an important thing that somewhere along the world, around the world that today we have not uh, looked at education in the seriousness that it really needs. And that is sad. That is very, very sad because education constantly needs to be re, uh, uh, reworked, reassessed, redesigned. Uh, and even uh, today, what I have to say, I shared this this morning with some of our parents in school, you know, everything that is written about um behavior and children and understanding children and child development has all to be rewritten because even Piaget's uh, systems of concrete operational and an abstract operational and all of that is happening much faster. He had like certain ages that he would say that at this stage is a concrete operational stage and at this stage is. And now I can tell you that children are starting to abstract much earlier. I feel a lot of what uh, teachers read in uh, colleges about child development has to be rewritten now and, you know, re-looked at. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. I, I was a single parent and I, I had to work and bring up my son. And I, it was always a huge sense of frustration that working women weren't given enough support. So there were no crushes in businesses that the, the the nannies that I had to employ to help me look after my son because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to work weren't really respected for the absolutely invaluable job that they do throughout the world. And no, there's no tax benefits, anything like that. So you've got the fiscal side, but then also from a also from a psychological perspective, do you think, oh, and for, I mean, I'm, I'm very heartened to hear you say about there are changes in education, but do you think there's an inherent sexism with, it, with how women are educated? 
that there is a certain expectation for women that stops, whereas the expectation for boys goes goes far and beyond? I would say yes, a little bit, but I think it's changing, but it's slow. It's slow. And I think, uh, you know, there's more um, across the world, even in higher education today, there is an awareness that, you know, girls have as many options as boys. Boys, um, you know, generally it was the doctor, lawyer, engineer, and, you know, uh, and also the whole uh, concept of the sciences are more oriented towards male uh, uh, domains and all of that. I think a lot of that is changing, but it's probably maybe in some cultures slower, in some cultures faster. I have to say in the Indian culture, though, there's, uh, you know, a fair amount of um, equality in that, that lots of uh, girls are also in these kind of uh, jobs and positions and looking at these dreams to study. But it is like, I'm sure the challenges in the workplace are quite different to what I'm talking about. Well, I I think you're an extraordinary, extraordinary humble person because what you've achieved is absolutely phenomenal because not only have you founded a school and and, and continue to run it, your school continues to grow. And you, you make it sound, you know, one minute we were doing this and then then there's the school. But I know you, you faced <laughs> no. en- enormous challenges. Tell us, how, how did you overcome yeah. these challenges and what kept you going? Yes, um, I mean, th- I have to be honest and say nothing came easy. But uh, it was something which I didn't lose sight of the big picture and where we wanted to go. Um, the more important thing, I think, was like the hardest fact was that I chose to, you know, come back and service my people, service what I where I had got my education, where people had sacrificed and given me the best. So I geographically chose to be in the city of Chennai. But more importantly, like while I chose Chennai, I I knew from day one when I was in university that I wanted to come back and service this because the kind of um, facility and um, luxuries that I saw in Western cultures, I did not see for my children in school or I didn't see it growing up either. And so I very much wanted for myself to contribute to this community. Having said that, when I uh, chose to be geographically in Chennai, it was a challenge because I come from a business family who is geographically located in Chennai. Being a girl child, they were not in a position to want to support me at all. I had written out letters to them, but it was not uh, responded to at all till date. And so there began my struggles, mostly because um, I didn't have the finances myself, nor did I want to go to private equity or venture capitals because both of them are going to be asking me every day uh, how I'm going to scale it up and how I'm going to repay them. And I didn't want the fire behind me. I wanted a different kind of fire, which is the passion in what I do every day. And I wanted to be given the space for you know, poetic licenses. And so I felt very, um, uh, it was really very, very challenging trying to find um, a partner or a, a supporter or how I was going to build a school even uh, because we had 
only been in rented spaces and in small little homes in a small neighborhood. And so as a result, I was, uh, we were charging a certain fee and making sure we paid off the rent and we paid our teachers. And that's how we made it go around. It continues to go around like that today. But what, uh, when we hit jackpot was, uh, when our, a parent community was motivating us every year to continue the school for the, their children's sake and for the future of the city to have a school of quality here. And so they were our biggest backers and we're very proud to have them even today as our biggest supporters. And most importantly, um, one of our own parents helped us find a developer who was uh, building a uh, of many villas in a gated community and he it was became a win-win situation because he needed um people to fill up his villas and we needed a school building and so that's how we uh ended up today 22 kilometers geographically from where we were in these small little homes and um we have a swank new purposefully built um uh, school building at, in this gated community and the children enjoy every part of uh, the school in, in ways that brings everybody so much joy. And I, I know you had to close uh, because of COVID, and, I, and I'm very happy that you, you opened, I think, a couple of days ago. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So the government has been very slow in our country because of the population issue that they've been very hesitant to allow um, schools to open. Only recently, the center had given the powers to the state to do that. And so our state uh, allowed us to open literally yesterday for the pre-primary and on February 1st for the primary upwards and uh, for uh, early January for uh, the high school. So we're all completely fully opened up as of today and uh, the children and the parents just have boundless joy to see them all <laughs> be lovely. Yeah, just bounding in with so much happiness in their faces. And parents are like, you know, keep my child till 16 if you want. We are happy. <laughs> <laughs> so how many, how many children, how many children do you have at your school now? And what is the age range, Valley? So the age range is from nine months to um, 18. And uh, the nine-month program being the parent and child, we call it the you and me program. We designed this some many years ago because in India, still we have a lot of extended family support for most families, even though uh, there is a fair number becoming nuclear now. But um, the you and me is a program that we designed, keeping in mind that to get parents on board on a you know, a system which is new and to get them into the whole parenting skill design. It's an indirect parenting workshop of sorts where the parent comes along with the child three mornings of the week and bonds with the child for an hour. And it works well because it's the first hour in the morning and then they can even go off to work by 10.30. 
So that is the beginning. And then the oldest program is the IB uh, program, which is the IB diploma, which is a uh, year one and year two of uh, the IB diploma, which is 11th and 12th equivalent grades. So how many, ch- how many children did you have at school? I think right now it's close to about 660 or so. It's close to about 700. Yeah, close to 700. And our ultimate goal by 2005, six will be probably 1,000. Unbelievable, Valley, what you've achieved. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if there, there was, if there was a, any, anybody listening today who... I mean, didn't well, I mean, your story is absolutely inspirational. What would you say to anyone listening to this who was thinking of doing something that seems almost impossible and you made possible? What, what, what would you say to them? I believe in yourself. Um, start visualizing all the most beautiful things that you want to uh, want to ha- make it happen, and chug on. Do not give up. That's the only thing that I can say. <laughs> chug, chug on. on I love that. <laughs> yeah. Chug on. Wake up in the morning with a sense of like, I'm going to do it. And, and where do you see yourself in 10 years time? I mean, you've talked about where, where you want the school to be. What, what do you think you'd like to be doing in a few years time? So I've just started some conversations on that because I do feel like now in the next four or five years to, um, I'm sure I'm going to be in another crossroad very soon. One crossroad that I always felt sad that I did not uh, put enough or make it happen enough in my own, uh, in our own uh, school at Casey High was uh, the fact that I wanted to be able to uh, reach out to a much more diverse community. And um, it had to happen in this way, as I said, because, um, you know, we needed to charge a tuition and we needed to, uh, you know, make sure that our teachers get well paid and our, our developer gets his packet every month. And so that did put me in a frame of like I have to uh, select a group of children I mean it's a norm given that if this is the fee then this is the uh, cohort that you have and so I do feel sad that we don't so we have started some uh, building a development committee and a corpus for bursaries to en- en- encompass more children from diverse bra- backgrounds, but also within the space of special needs and other areas. So I do feel at this point, instead of continuing to be with this own organize my own organization, to start volunteering and giving my time. So there are two, three NGOs that are doing grassroots level work with the at the village level and uh, that's where now I want to go and put my energies in so that um, I can bring up a bigger mass of kids into a better world. Valley, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you don't mind, I'm going to steal your chug on phrase because it's such a great <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Thank you so much, Valley Sophia. Uh, I could definitely say that you have been there, done that. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And uh, I've enjoyed reading and hearing your other Been There Dundats. And I hope there are more women out there in the world who could inspire and egg on and chug on more people into a better tomorrow. (laughs) That's lovely. 
Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?